0: Welcome to another edition of the And You Shall Know That I Am Yahweh, an Ezekiel podcast. Very glad that you've joined us, and thanks for the gift of spending time as we continue to explore what God has made known through Ezekiel. Today we explore chapter 18. The word of Yahweh came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that who sins will die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of israel does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity does not oppress any one, but restores to the debtor his pledge commits no robbery gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment does not lend at interest or take any profit withholds his hand from injustice executes true justice between man and man walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord Yahweh. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest, and takes profit, shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity and takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord Yahweh, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just." Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, declares the Lord Yahweh. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord Yahweh. So turn and live." We've read the whole section here because it is uh, tightly argued and, and something that we have to see in its coherence. As we've seen uh, in context, Ezekiel is somewhere between 592 and 591. The last time marker was in chapter eight for 592. In chapter 20, we're getting close to, uh, we're getting close to that point where it's 591. Um, we've seen all kinds of various indictments of the sinfulness of the people. Uh, That's the thing we've seen over and over again. All the sins the people have committed. By this point, we should have no confusion that the people of Israel have participated in gross immorality. We have seen this exemplified in the vision of Jerusalem that Ezekiel's had. We've seen it in the prophets and the false prophets. We've seen it in the elders. We've seen it in the story of Jerusalem, uh, the adulterous uh, whoring wife. Uh, we have heard that, by comparison, Jerusalem makes Sodom and Samaria seem righteous based upon the abominations that are done in it. And we saw in chapter 17 this parable regarding the implications of the treachery that Zedekiah has participated in. Um, if indeed we have these messages spread over time, uh, we can be almost certain that at the bare minimum, uh there is consultation being made in the halls of the court of Babylon regarding a likely Western campaign that is going to lead to the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, Perhaps we're already at the point where preparations have been made. Uh, Perhaps even since in chapter 21, uh, they are already at the juncture uh, where they would go on either to Rabbah of Ammon, or they would go to Jerusalem. Maybe uh, everybody's already on the march. That basically the judgment that God has decreed is reaching its inexorable end. And so we get this message from Ezekiel based upon this proverb. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. We also saw this in Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. This is discussed as well. Uh this parable here um, means uh, that uh, the idea is that the children suffer from what the parents have done. The ch- fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers sin, the children bear the punishment. That's the thrust of this parable. And then what Ezekiel goes through are two sets of illustrations where God is trying to establish that he holds responsible for sin those who commit the sin that those who uh, commit the sin bear the guilt of the sin he does this first in verses 5 through 18 by looking at three generations Uh, we have the first generation uh, the quote-unquote grandfather is a fully righteous person. And we see all the ways in which he is righteous. He does not uh, commit idolatry. He does not commit adultery. He observes the, 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 the laws about uh, cleanliness. He does not steal. He gives to those in need. He does justice. He will live. But then we have the second generation, who would be the father. Uh, the son of the grandfather. And he uh, does not do these things. He is a very wicked person. And he will die in his sin. He, uh, his blood is upon himself. And then we have the third generation. The son. Uh, the grandson of the grandfather. The son of the father. He has turned away from the sins of his father. And has worked toward the righteousness like his grandfather. He will not suffer because his father has committed sin and yet israel says why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father and this is where we get this idea of the soul that sins will die the son will not suffer for the iniquity of the father nor the father for the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous are upon themselves the wicked of the wicked shall be upon themselves now in this three situations we have very clear-cut fully righteous fully sinful fully righteous then we complicate the story even further. Let's say we have a wicked person. They've done a lot of wickedness, but they turn from their wickedness and start doing what is right. And what uh, uh, Ezekiel says, do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. This is something important about God. God doesn't want anyone to die. He doesn't want the wicked to die. If the wicked turn from the wickedness, that's the whole point. The whole point is we want the wicked to turn from their wickedness and follow righteousness. That's all of what's going on here. And so he will live, he will not be punished, he will not, all of his sins will be forget, forgotten, forgiven, uh, because he has turned to do righteousness. And on the other hand, a righteous person, if they turn from their righteousness to do wickedness, can they live? The, the righteous deeds will not be remembered um, because the, the treachery and the sin that they've done, that will be remembered. And this is where Israel then says the Lord's way is not just in the English standard. Uh, the the term in the Hebrew is this word, takan. It kind of means to arrange, equalize, to level, estimate, to bear up, to be equal or unequal. So God's way is lacking. It's unequal. They're saying your ways are unequal. This doesn't seem right. And this is kind of the, the, the point of offense here, that the house of Israel feels this way. Uh, and, and Ezekiel is trying to say here look if somebody turns from righteousness and does injustice he's going to suffer for that uh, when a wicked turns from the wickedness and does what is right he will save his life um, and, and this is exhortation this is how I'm going to judge you Israel turn from your ways turn from your transgressions lest you have be ruined by your sin turn away so you don't have to die that, that's really the thrust this is a, a last ditch prophetic plea now, it's very important about this passage, and I try to really keep it in context, because uh, this passage is passages taken out of context frequently and made to serve a very different master in the 21st century, uh, in a time where we now have hyper-individualist and libertarian in, in philosophy, uh, having been very influenced by Locke and his tabula rasa idea of, of humanity. Um, the same message will be found in chapter um, 33 as well. We're going to return to it in 33 um, for a different reason. And so we need to understand the reason here. And notice notice what's going on in Israel to precipitate why Ezekiel is saying these things. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? The way of the Lord is unequal. What, what is all of this stemming from? What it seems like you've got going on here in Israel is you've got this viewpoint that our doom is fated. When it comes to these judgments, our doom is fated. Our fathers have sinned. Therefore, we are going to suffer the punishment from our father's sins. Um, and the thing is, is you can totally understand why they feel this way. In the book of 2 Kings, The author of 2 Kings makes it extremely apparent that God made the decision that Judah was going to be overrun and destroyed in the days of Manasseh. That it was Manasseh's sinfulness that led to that trigger. It's going to happen. It's going to be destroyed. It's not even just something that is decreed at that time. When the book of the law is found, and they read all of the punishments that come from all of this sinfulness. And they realize how sinful they've been. And so they try to find a prophet. And they end up going to hold of the prophetess. Hold of the prophetess says, yes, all of these things are going to come upon Jerusalem. The devastation has been decreed. It will not be in your generation because of your faithfulness. And so the one message has gotten out there, and you can see it's a message gotten out there is Yahweh has decreed the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. It's going to happen. And so what happens is that you get in this posture of we are suffering because of what our fathers have done. And this is the generation upon which all this is going to come. And you can sit back and ask, is this objectively the most sinful generation of Judahites? And it would be hard to argue or sustain that. I mean, you can certainly, if there's any question about that, you can go back to uh, the northern King of Israel. Was the generation uh, around 720, 730, the most sinful generation of Israelites? Well, even in the text, we're told that really the year of that particular uh, time was the days of Ahab. That is was the days of Ahab that were the worst, uh, where Baal service had become far more prevalent and even kind of ascendant, and uh, Jehu, you know, wiped the land of the Baals. Um, you know, maybe, you know, and we weren't there, maybe it really got bad at the very end. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant, but you could make the argument that it wasn't the worst generation. But the judgment that had been piling up, the sins that had been piling up, the, 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 the injustice that had been piling up, it all gets poured out on that last generation in a way that doesn't happen to each generation. And the same thing is going on here. Um, If the land is going to suffer the devastation that it was decreed in the days of Manasseh, there is a sense in which, yes, the sons are bearing uh, something from what their fathers have done. There's, There's no way of really getting around that. Uh, but what Ezekiel's trying to point out here is that they have become too fatalistic the other way. Whereas modern Americans are maybe a little too libertarian about all of this and have very little one desire to understand the legacy and inheritance and that legacy and inheritance is a two-way street and has problems as well as benefits. Uh, with Ezekiel, it, the generation of Israelites there are completely of a different mind. That uh, the apple never far, falls far from the tree, therefore... Uh, What fathers have done, sons will pay for. And so what Ezekiel is trying to do here is to create some distance to say you can turn and live so that he can show them that you can turn and live. What is going to happen to Jerusalem doesn't have to happen to you. You can live. God does not take pleasure in your death. He's not taking pleasure in this judgment. Because the good question to ask is, okay, if it was decreed in the days of Manasseh, why has it taken to this generation? Well, in 2 Chronicles, we learn that Manasseh repents, and he prays for forgiveness. Uh, his son Ammonoi reigns two years. Uh, Josiah very firmly um is on the side of God and does a lot of cleansing and reform. And therefore, as we said, the prophet Holda said, it would not happen in his days. And we see that uh, it's that next generation, you know, with uh, Jehoahaz not lasting long and then Jehoiakim, both of whom will be lamented in the next chapter. Uh, now we're, now the final thing has happened. It's now this generation where it happens. And the notable thing that we see with this generation is we don't see the repentance. We see wicked kings breaking faith, not trusting in Yahweh, and that is why it comes upon this generation, the first generation that has been fully unrepentant uh, since the decree was made. Uh, And if they had just turned in repentance, they would have been fine. It's a very important reminder, though, about what, what, what justice looks like, what equal and unequal looks like. Because you can kind of see what the Israelites are saying. It's like, all right, so you got this guy. He has this long body of awful things he's done. And then at the, at, he, he changes at the last minute, and he turns and does good things at the end. Kind of like your Ebenezer Scrooge character, right? So you can see the argument where he's been awful this whole life, but now at the end he's going to be fine because he did okay. At the same time, we got this dude who's a saint all of his life, and then he finally, at the very end, decides to start living it up and does some bad stuff. And you're just going to judge that whole life on the basis of the end? You, know, you can make the argument, how is this equal? You're, you're totally weighing it toward the end of everything. And there's really no argument about that. He said, your ways are unequal because you're not giving weight to the fact that the person turned. And it's one of those things where we have just so absorbed the logic of what Yahweh is saying through Ezekiel that that's just the way that we see it, that we, we, we don't step back and see why Israel was looking at it a different way. And it's, by the way, not at all to justify, excuse, or rationalize the way Israel looks at it, because the way of Israel is unequal. It is not right. It is leading them to this very unhealthy place where they're now going to be completely destroyed, and they think that there was nothing they could do about it. Um, But they certainly could have. They could have changed and they could have repented. Um, There's a lot that we can say about how this passage ends up being used in the 21st century. Uh, It ends up becoming a major part to play in the arguments surrounding original sin or ancestral sin uh, and free will and free choice. Um, There's a lot going into this about generational patterns that we could get into. Uh, But I want to keep it in context for us that Ezekiel is not proving to be a hyper-individualist libertarian here because there's one point in the line of logic, an argument that is used from Ezekiel 18, that Ezekiel is proving is is the weakest plank. Uh, And so here's a line of logic here. Uh, The soul that sins will die fathers will not be held guilty for the son, sins of their sons the son will not be held guilty for the sins of their fathers i have not committed the sins of my fathers therefore i am righteous before god in that line of logic if you gave it to ezekiel he would point out that your weakest point there is point 3 that i have not committed the sins of my fathers because what ezekiel is going to come back to in chapter 20 and what has been underscored this whole time is that the children have done the, th- the same things as their fathers this exhortation is given because they have sinned like their fathers have sinned and the judgment of god is coming upon this generation that is why that they have this last moment as the military preparations are being made as everybody is getting ready to fight this campaign this is a last moment where you could change you can turn in your heart you can change your ways so that you don't have to die but we know what's going to happen there will be judgment the end is coming because they did not turn and so they are suffering for the iniquities that they have done and the full weight of the of the judgment on their iniquities is coming upon them uh, that has been built up for all the years of their fathers their fathers you could maybe say were released from some of the uh temporary judgments you know there in that in that moment uh now it's all coming upon the sons and they will suffer it indeed we will pick up again with the lament over the princes in chapter 19 and uh, carry on to see, again, a very important uh, foil for chapter 18 and chapter 20. And any time you want to discuss what Ezekiel wants to talk about in terms of the soul that sins will die in chapter 18, really needs to grapple with what he says about the the sons walking in the ways of the fathers in chapter 20. But uh, until we uh, have that day, we uh, hope and pray that the Lord will bless, guard, and keep you uh, until then.